Welcome to TSCRA Talk, a podcast by Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I'm your host, Kristen Brown. Joining me today is Emily Lautner, the Executive Director of Engagement and Education at TSCRA and a Branga Seed Stock producer to discuss all things EPDs. Emily, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to visit with you today. Thanks, Kristen. I'm I'm excited to be on and get to talk to you today. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. Well, um, my name is Emily Lochner, and I am currently the Executive Director of Engagement and Education here at Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I've grown up in the beef and dairy industry my entire life and have grown up raising seed stock, bringing bulls alongside my family. I'm glad to be at TSCRA. It's a great place that uh, shares a lot of similar interests and values with, with our family. And it's just a, a wonderful place to get to interact with wonderful members. Well, that's that's awesome. And I'm excited about our topic today, which is EPDs. And, you know, with your background in the seed stock business, you have a strong understanding and grasp on the importance of EPDs. So very first question to start us out, let's define what is an EPD. So we're all on the same page here. Yeah, that's a great, great way to start. Uh, so an EPD is an expected progeny difference is what it stands for. And so what EPDs are is basically looking at all of the genetic factors of an animal to make an extremely educated guess on what the future might look like. So an EPD takes into account three things. And I, and Kristen, I'll preface this with, I'm not a geneticist. I'm an animal science major and I've grown up in the seed stock business. So I'll explain it in the most basic terms that is the easiest for me to understand. And I think an easy way to understand it. So EPDs take into account three factors and that is an animal's actual numbers and actual weights and traits. And so if a bull calf is born, uh, seed stock producers will take weights on those animals throughout their lives. And so if a calf is born, we'll take a birth weight on them and a weaning weight at 240 days and a yearling weight at 365 days. And then you'll take kind of other measurements or other statistics uh, throughout that animal's life. For example, their progeny's actual birth weight and actual weaning weight. If it's an animal that's bound for the feedlot or beef production system and you happen to get carcass data on that animal, that could be uploaded into their expected progeny difference database or their progeny's carcass data could be uploaded and effect. So actual numbers go into it. Um, and then kind of what I touched on, progeny and ancestral numbers go into it as well. And so an animal, a bull, his EPDs are going to be affected by his sons and daughters and his mother and his cousins and his aunts and uncles. And so kind of the whole family tree of an animal goes into a percentage of EPDs, then also genetic testing will go into it. And I know um, we'll talk about that later about genomically enhanced EPDs, but kind of looking at the DNA and DNA markers of an animal will go into an expected progeny difference. And so with anything, 
projecting what the future might look like is not 100% certain, but it is an educated guess to the best of all of our abilities of all of the numbers that are going into this database and into this system to make a guess on what future numbers of future progeny might look like. Well, that's fascinating to hear all the components that go into it and gives us a really solid foundation as we go forward in this. And it's interesting, over the last 60, 70 years, cattlemen have worked so hard to track this information and use it to produce better quality cattle. And so that's where I want to go into um, hearing more about the genomic enhanced EPDs because it's one of those things like it just keeps getting better. And to so talk about how we can include actual DNA analysis now into these genomic enhanced EPDs. Yeah. So you're right, Kristen. I mean, since the 1960s and early 1970s is kind of when records started to be kept on comparing one sire to another sire. And that's kind of the birthplace of EPDs and how it kind of grew into what it is now, which is across multiple breeds, millions of data points that are helping us create this, you know, hopefully future estimation of what our progeny are going to look like. And so now in today's day and age, we have, like you said, genomically enhanced EPDs, which a lot of people will call GE EPDs. And like I said, I'm not a geneticist, so I'll break it down in the way that I understand it. And that is there are very, very smart people out there in this world who are geneticists. And what they do is they look at DNA markers and they will look at the strand of DNA of an animal and they will evaluate and break down different DNA components and say, this DNA marker is affects birth weight, or this DNA marker is a really good indicator of marbling. And so they will then fold that into the calculation of an EPD. Geneticists are exceptionally intelligent in the way that they fold those genetic markers into the EPD calculations. That's all done on the back end. As a, as a producer, that's certainly something that we don't ever do or ever see. We just see the end product of an EPD. And so they will look at these genetic markers and they will take a genetic marker and say, this one is an indicator for higher or lower birth weight or higher or lower marbling or ribeye size and, and add that into the calculation. And then how they get that is through blood tests uh, submitted by producers. And so as producers, as seed stock producers, I could, I could be one of three tests. Uh, producers will send in either uh, hair, blood, or tissue samples to a genetics lab, and then those samples will be ran, and the DNA markers will be pulled out to help calculate GE EPDs. But um, those genetics, uh, once they're on file in the genetics lab, can also be used for other things, like identifying if that animal is a recessive carrier for anything that they could look at, a disease or a birth defect or a color even they'll they'll look at those recessive trait carriers in that 
genetics package alongside folding in GEEPDs. That's fascinating. And again, it's so exciting that there are people who work constantly to make things better and better. I want to dive in now to the hands-on commercial cow-calf person who wants to use EPDs to increase their bottom line. What do they need to consider? Where do they need to start? First, establish what it is that you are going to be doing with your calves. Are you going to be raising bulls yourself? Are you going to be selling your calves at weaning time to a sale barn? Are you retaining your calves and owning them through the feedlot phase and onto the packing phase? Are you raising direct-to-consumer beef? Are you raising replacement heifers? Because depending upon what your in-production goal is, is, in my opinion, the sole driver or the strongest driver of your purchase of a bull. And then I also think folding into that conversation where you're located in the state or in the country where your herd is at is also going to make a big impact on your bull selection as well. Because if you're maybe in a hotter, more humid climate, you may need a different bull versus So if I live in Galveston or I live on the Gulf Coast or if I live in the Trans-Pecos and I live in the mountains, then I need two different types of bulls for the production environment that I'm in. And so I think looking at what your production goals are and then working backwards is is really important. So I'll give you a few examples of things that I might look at. Um, So starting, I think, very common If you are raising animals for beef production, if you're either selling them at the sale barn or retaining ownership onto the feedlot, if that's their end goal, then I am probably looking at a lot of carcass traits. And so from generation to generation, typically what you should see, we the kind of rule of thumb is that carcass traits are 70 to 80% heritable, which is really high. And so if a bull, if you are purchasing a bull with a really high carcass weights, then there is a 70 to 80% chance that that calf would inherit his high carcass traits as well. So the moral of that story is if you're sending your calves to the feedlot, then there's a really high chance that he's going to inherit or those calves are going to inherit their sire's carcass, strong carcass data. Now, on the flip side of that, if you are raising replacement heifers, if you're raising heifers to either keep in your herd or maybe you sell females in group lots to other commercial cattlemen or through other sales, I'm probably not going to look at carcass data as much. I'm probably going to look at things like calving ease or birth weight or milk or stayability. There's a, most breeds have a column called stayability and that is defined as an animal's ability to remain in the herd longer than six years. And so it's kind of like a longevity EPD. So that matters to me if I'm raising females is how long are they going to stay in their herd and how much are they going to milk uh, their progeny and are they going to calve easily? So I'm going to look at things like that from a female perspective. So that's why I think it's really important to just establish your production goals and then kind of work backwards from there. 
Sure. That makes complete sense. And one thing that I think is interesting and want to point out is the different breeds have slightly different calculations for EPD. So it is important to go to that breed association's website and, and go through it. And then would you say, so there's the percentile ranking and, and again, each breed has their mm-hmm. own. And would you say that's a, a way if you wanted to compare different breeds, kind of where they fall in that percentile range? Absolutely. Yes. I, that's a, a really great point, Kristen, is that that's really important. If you are looking at sale catalogs before you go to a sale and you're trying to evaluate bulls across breed, the breeds are not comparable in the way that their EPDs are calculated. So for example, the average birth weight across all of the Hereford population is 2.7, whereas the average birth weight for Angus bulls is 1.2. And so it's not a comparable comparison to make. It is within their own breed population. So you could compare one Hereford bull against another Hereford bull and get an accurate representation of comparison there, but you can't compare an Angus bull to a Brangus bull because there are two different population subsets. Well, and that's very good and very important to know. So one of my big takeaways so far from our conversation is the importance of knowing what traits you want. And then the flip side of that, knowing what traits you don't need. That's for sure part of it, you know, because at the end of the day, you want to get a bull that's within your price range. And so I'm looking at things that really matter to me. If I'm maybe a producer that cares a lot about birth weight, if I've got young heifers or first calving heifers, I care a lot about birth weight. I'm really going to look at that. I'm probably not going to get a bull that's in the 90th percentile for birth weight if I've got first calf heifers versus if I'm putting this bull out on five or six-year-old Brahmin cows, I'm feeling a little bit better about it. Yes. Again, helpful information there. One other thing as we as we get close to the end of our time, but I want to talk about because it's one more component to evaluate and take into consideration, um, but the the dollar value index. Talk to us about that. Yes. So on a registration paper or in a sale catalog, you also see EPDs that are categorized as indexes. And you will know them because they start with a dollar sign. And so it may be dollar B, dollar CAB, dollar BMI, dollar API, TI. You'll see a, a lot of indexes out there based on what breed you're looking at. So most breeds are a little bit different in what indexes they offer. And so this is where I, you know, I encourage you, if you know you're going to go to a sale, go to that breed association's website and just type in American Angus Association EPD definitions and go read the descriptions of those indexes because there's dozens of indexes out there but they really hone in on production goals. So that's why I think it's really important to look at dollar indexes. It's just another tool in your belt. And dollar indexes are really a combination of other subsets of EPDs. So I'll take a few examples. The Angus Association has a dollar B column, which stands for dollar beef. 
So that column is really a combination of other terminal traits like marbling, carcass weight, fat thickness, ribeye area. They also take into account some other feedlot bound traits as well, like dry matter intake and days on average daily gain, days on feed, uh, yearling weight as well. And so if you're really looking for a one-stop shop to simplify uh, the EPDs, dollar indexes are going to be a great place for you to look. A dollar beef should be directly driven by those other terminal traits. So if a bull is higher in um, yearling weight and marbling and ribeye, his dollar beef should be higher. So it's kind of a an average of those other traits. Well, again, it's exciting to hear that there are so many different ways to go about evaluating the information, mulling it over. And I think you've touched on the different breeds so well. And so homework for our listeners, if, if you want to know more, I'd encourage you to go to the Breed Association websites, do some digging and, and just get familiar with what the things stand for, what the, what the EPDs stand for and what they entail and, and really spend some time thinking about what your goals are. Where do you want your herd? What is the long-term plan with your cattle? And then in evaluating going to different sales and, and you know, when you identify you're going to go to this sale, I'd encourage our listeners to reach out to, to those folks because they've worked hard to put this information together and they want you to be successful ultimately with the bulls that you select. And uh, so, yeah, tell us a little bit, anything, anything there, any comments there about homework that listeners should do to learn more and then reaching out and, and asking questions to seed stock producers that they plan to shop with. Yeah, Kristen, you're exactly right. I think it's always such a great thing to reach out to the producer of those bulls. If you get a sale catalog in the front of the sale catalog, it should have a list of names and phone numbers of people that you can call and just ask about a bull and say, hey, I'm looking at lot 99. I think he's a good fit for my production goals. Can you tell me a little bit about him? And those producers want you to be successful. Even though they're selling bulls, they still want the best for you as well. And so they should be honest with you. The other thing that I would say is always go look at the bull and always calculate in the phenotypic physical traits of an animal because that plays into your factor as well. This should never be a one trait selection. You know, you should never buy a bull just because he has a a high dollar B value index or just because he has the lowest birth weight. If he's in the, you know, top 1% for birth weight, doesn't mean I'm immediately going to buy him. If he doesn't physically meet the needs of my herd as well, then that's counterproductive as well, just as equally as it is only looking at the physical part of the animal and not calculating in EPDs as well. It's all the tools in your tool belt that you need. Well, I I love that you added that because it is important to consider all aspects, the numbers and the data, but then also physically. So that's awesome. Is there anything else that you want to add that we have not covered? No, ma'am. I think you've done a great job and I wish everybody luck this bull sale season. There's a lot of bull sales out there and you can find a lot of bull sales in the Cattleman Magazine, but certainly online and in your area and wish everybody the best of luck in selecting their next herd sire. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much, Emily, for your time. Thanks, Kristen. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to be part of one of our ranch gatherings and virtual ranching 101s. For a full list of ranch gathering locations, ranching 101 topics, and more information about cattle raisers, visit tscra.org or email events at tscra.org. 